Bring some good food. Man, I had signed up for some bad stuff, so I guess I won't be able to bring anything. So <laughs> that's funny, isn't it? Uh, okay, did you get the uh, little handout? And uh, this is by our friend Don Whitney. And uh, just thinking about that, oh, we need to have him back. But uh, there's a, a thing you can take with you and get ready for Thanksgiving. He's got a whole series of these on his website in the tiny, tiny, tiny print that I had to do on there to make it fit on two sides of a sheet of paper so I could cut it in half. Uh, I think it's biblicalspirituality.org or something like that. So um, if you magnify it, you can find that out. He's got these things for like 10 questions to ask on your birthday, 10 questions to ask at Christmas, 10 questions to ask, I mean, all kinds of things on there. And they're kind of interesting if you're looking for some conversation starters or something like that. They're good. But they're also good just for your own personal reflection. Sometimes it's good to just stop and think a little bit and maybe share a little bit. And uh, just curious tonight, what is, what is your favorite Thanksgiving food? Somebody say something. I mean, sweet potatoes? Mama Lou's dressing, okay. Green bean casserole? What else? German chocolate cake, yeah? Pumpkin pie? Hot rolls? <laughs> Cranberry relish? Nobody said anything weird. I thought maybe there'd be somebody in here who would have some kind of weird food. What's, is there anything weird that you eat that's not normal? What's that? Hog gels? Okay. You can have mine. <laughs> some people do eat some different things. And, uh, but we're all, I guess we're all kind of conservative traditionalists, huh? Sound, sound pretty normal. Okay, here's another question I'm curious about. What do you enjoy most about the Thanksgiving holiday? A nap? By the time you eat the turkey, yeah, it's time for a nap. What else? Family, when the kitchen is clean. <laughs> Parades. Yeah. I heard, uh, listening to, uh, uh, it was Glenn Beck the other day. He was in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And they have started a parade there within the last 20 years. And it is a small, small town, but it's huge. And uh, they were talking about how the parade uh, it's kind of the anti-Macy's parade, I guess you could say, and a little bit more focused on what Thanksgiving is all about and that kind of thing. And it was really interesting. He had a, a local pastor there who is also a historian, and the things he shared about the pilgrims were fascinating. A lot of things I didn't know. And um, he's read all of the source material from uh, the actual pilgrims and Bradford and those kind of guys. And uh, there's a lot of things that they just don't teach uh, about the pilgrims and about their life and everything. Did you know that uh, he was sitting in the room where they had the first election in U.S. history? I know we weren't a country yet, but first one. And then that's where the first peace treaty with Native Americans were made. And it is the longest peace treaty 
that has ever worked with, you know, our track, re track record's not good with Native Americans. But that one was the longest one. And interestingly enough, for once, it was the Native Americans that broke it and not the Europeans. So it was very interesting, you know, to hear some things like that. And uh, so, you know, do some uh, research on that. Learn a, bit, a little bit more about Thanksgiving. What else? What is your favorite thing about Thanksgiving? And obviously, I sort of like the history of it. I think it's kind of neat. Anybody else? Anybody say family? Gathering? Family in there? Yeah, that was in there. Family, food. Relaxing a little bit, maybe. Football? Nobody said football? Yeah, Gerald said football, yeah. <laughs> football and taking a nap, sometimes at the same time. Yeah. Okay, it, it really is kind of the least commercial. It's not entirely free, but man, you know, Christmas has just been kind of corrupted by a lot of that kind of stuff, and so many other things have too. Uh, Thanksgiving to me seems to be the holiday that's sort of overlooked and kind of squeezed out of things. It's, it's like we go, you know, from, you know, the Halloween stuff to Christmas, and uh, you wonder why that is? Because those are the two biggest money-making holidays. You know, um, trick-or-treating and that kind of thing is not really what you think. That's a candy thing. That's the, the candy manufacturers have pushed that, and that's where it came from. In fact, did you know all the things that you heard, you know, don't eat anything that's homemade. Some of you are old enough to remember when almost everything you got was homemade. Okay? And then there are things like, oh, people put you know, dope in the popcorn balls and needles in apples and all of that. Did you know, according to the FBI, there is almost none of that? You know who started perpetuating that? Candy people. You know why? Because if you're making stuff, you're not buying candy. But if they could get you to understand that, boy, you better not eat anything homemade, might be dangerous, then what do you do? You buy the prepackaged stuff. Uh, follow the money every time, every time, follow the money. And isn't it interesting that uh, the command to celebrate Christ's birth is nowhere in the Bible. I mean, it's okay, that's a part of the story, but nowhere in the Bible does it make a big deal out of the birth of Christ in terms of celebration. It is interesting we're told to remember his death. That's where the Bible puts the emphasis. And um, when it comes to some of the other things that we do, there's not a whole lot about it. But when you think about verses like, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Uh, man, for believers, Thanksgiving is probably the most biblical holiday that we have. And that's something that we ought to practice. Is that me? That's me, yeah. I don't know who it is, but they can wait. And... Uh, Put your cell phone on silent, people. Okay? <laughs> um, so, uh, let's see. Here was another one I had marked here. Um, what is one experience for which you are most thankful this year? Has anything happened that sticks out in your mind and in your heart that you're most thankful for this year? You got to think on that one just a little bit. I'll give you some time. We're not in a hurry. Got a job. Got a job. 
Well, somebody say amen for that. Yeah. Yeah. Saturday morning men's group. Yeah, we have a good time in that one. Okay. What else? Yeah. Seeing people you haven't seen for 50 years. Surprised to run into Christians in your family? Yeah, good. That's a pleasant surprise. I can talk. That's not an unknown tongue. That's mine. Okay. Yeah. Got to retire this year. Yeah. Amen. Anybody else? Yeah, we had a grandbaby this year, little Calvin Ruth. Who else? Anybody else? Is that the best we can do? Yeah. Yeah. Sitting in church with your kids is always a blessing, isn't it? Yeah, always a blessing. Okay, anybody else? Something you're thankful for this year? Anybody? Thankful for the pregnancy. Amen for that. And then just the steps and things you've gone through and watching God work miracles and provision and that kind of thing. Yeah, makes you feel a little more peaceful about it, doesn't it? Yeah. Answered, had some answered prayer for uh, Shelby and Hallie. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. One more. Uh, for what do you feel most grateful to God today? For His love and mercy. And you know, the psalm says it endures forever. Endures forever. So you got it today, you'll have it tomorrow, right? An unchanging God. Okay? What else are you most thankful, thankful for to God today? His word. His word. Okay. What else? Somebody said something. Yeah. Forgiveness. His mercies. They're new every morning. What else are you thankful for to God today? Saving my soul. Saving my soul. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. I love that song. What else are you thankful to God for today? Church family. Church family. Amen. I'm thankful that... Uh, Luke Johnson is going to come Sunday, and he's bringing his wife this year. So you'll get to meet her. Okay? She's a southern belle. She's also a nurse, so if anybody passes out, she might be able to help them. You know how you get hungry, and you're going, like, oh, I smell all the food back there. When is this guy going to be quiet so I can eat? We don't have quite that problem, but I have been in churches where the fellowship hall was like straight back from the auditorium and you could smell it, you know, while you're back there. Okay. Anybody else thankful to God? Yeah. Russ? I will be married to a wonderful wife 38 years tomorrow. 38th anniversary tomorrow for Russ and Risa. Amen. Amen. 
<laughs> so 38 years ago, uh, from what you're saying, that uh, people came up and said congratulations to you, and then to Risa, they said deepest sympathy. And yeah, <laughs> kind of the way it works, isn't it? Yeah. Well, let's just stop and let's just have a word of prayer, just being thankful. And you can uh, look at those and take them home and may even give you some time to share a few of those other questions with the people around you tonight. We'll just see how we do tonight, okay? Father, you told us in your word to give thanks. It's all through the Psalms. And we thank you, Lord, for revealing your word to us and revealing your will to us. Paul said, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. And I thank you, Lord, that you make your will known to us. We're to be thankful. And we find ourselves so quick to be negative, so quick to complain about maybe what we don't have. Sometimes we actually complain about the things that we do have. Lord, we're so sorry for that. Like Eve, we find ourselves, instead of being grateful for all of the things you provided, when the serpent points out that one thing we don't have or can't have, then that becomes something we obsess over. And it always leads into trouble every time. Because you are the shepherd of the sheep and you take us as your sheep to where we need to graze. We don't need to be sticking our head through the fence. We don't need to be looking longingly at the bar ditch. We don't need to look at something across the road. We need to be content with where you lead us. You always lead us to what is best for us. And forgive us, Lord, when we want to kind of stray. Forgive us, Lord, when we complain because we have been bitten by a wolf when we strayed away from where you have, have led us. And so many times it's our own fault. And so, Lord, we're asking you to forgive us and to change our hearts. And we want to thank you for who you are, a sovereign, holy, all-powerful God who rules and reigns over the universe, and that reign and rule will never even be threatened. I thank you, Lord, that it will never change. I thank you that no one will ever topple you from the throne. No one is going to... Um, take over or inherit your throne. It's your throne and it endures forever. I thank you, Lord, for your unfailing, intense love for people like us. Sending your son to die for us, to bear the wrath of God in our place. And he drained the cup and there's none of it left. And now all we know is your grace. Now all we know is mercy. Now all we know is an unfailing love. Even when we stray, thank you that you never waver in your love for us. Thank you, Father, for the things that you provide for us. In this kind of weather, we thank you that we have coats to keep us warm. Thank you that we have cars with windshield wipers on them. Just the little things like that. Thank you for raincoats and those kind of things that we don't have to get soaked to the skin and we don't have to walk everywhere we go in the rain. We are so spoiled and yet so blessed. Thank you for food to eat. This Thanksgiving season we're going to eat far more than we probably ought to. 
But at the same time, Lord, I thank you that as I read through your word, you ordained feasting as well as you did fasting. And the feast seemed to come a whole lot more than the fast do in the Old Testament. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to celebrate and you allow us to have an abundance. And so, Lord, we're asking you to make us thankful, not just this time of year, but all the time. And may our Thanksgiving season truly be a time of giving thanks. The world says we need to be thankful, and then they thank each other, and they thank themselves, and they thank false gods. And we as your people come to say, thank you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We can always use more of that. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and let's turn to the Psalms again. And uh, we're going to go to uh, 145. 145. And we're going to talk about kind of tying all this together that uh, David is writing. This is his last psalm. He wrote about 75 of the 150 psalms. And so he's the major contributor, I guess we would say. And this is the last one that he wrote. And what is on the old man's heart when he writes his last psalm? It's interesting. It's a psalm of praise. And uh, as David is leading us to give praise to the Lord, I thought about the fact that when we get to heaven, we're going to really praise him really praise him we only think we do down here we're going to really praise him when we get to heaven i think it's going to be because we're going to know a whole lot more the bible says we're going to know even as we are known well how does god know us he knows us completely and i think when we get to heaven people say i'm going to ask questions i don't think you're going to have any I think when you get to heaven, I think everything's going to be settled and you're going to know everything that you're supposed to know and you're going to see how it all fits together and you're going to be absolutely amazed and overwhelmed at what God has done. And you're going to be filled with uh, praise for eternity as you, uh, whatever it is that God has for us because the Bible says we can't even imagine it, right? Eye hath not seen and ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him. I have no idea. He's made a beautiful earth down here, and we have wonderful things we get to do here. I can't imagine that it's going to be worse up there. And so we can't even begin to imagine how beautiful it is and how much fun we're going to have and the joy that we're going to experience when we're in heaven. And we're going to be able to have the capacity to glorify and praise God in all of it. See, I get distracted sometimes. We were standing here singing, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And you know what I found myself doing? Thinking about something else. And we got to that line where it says, and it's all about you. And I just kind of, with a jolt, go, good night, what am I doing? You ever do that? You ever have a quiet time and you're reading a devotion or reading something in your Bible and then you start thinking about something else? You get distracted. I do that when I'm praying. Sometimes... In uh, prayer, you know, man, my mind can wander a long ways. And sometimes, I'm convinced that when we pray, the enemy sometimes starts whispering some of the most evil and vile and wicked things into our ears uh, at about that time. Anything to keep us from communing with God. And uh, I find that my heart, like the old hymn writer said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, here's my heart, Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. I feel that. Liberals have changed that song to prone to worship, Lord, I feel it. 
Well, that's not entirely wrong because the new nature that we have is prone to worship. And the Holy Spirit is always leading us to worship. But we've got to battle with the flesh, don't we? And the flesh is prone to wonder. And so we have that tug of war sometimes that's going on. And I don't even want to be involved in the tug of war. I just want to be sold out to the Lord and drawn to Him. But being honest, man, sometimes my mind wonders. You know, in heaven, you're never going to have that uh, problem. No matter what it is that we have to do in heaven, I don't know if we're going to fish or not or play golf or not. I don't know. Sightsee, I imagine there'll be a lot of that. But you're never going to be distracted from the Creator. You're never going to be distracted from the Lord who died for you. And your thoughts and your heart will be continually on Him. You may be meeting the Apostle Paul, but you're going to be thinking about Jesus. You may be running into Charles Spurgeon and talking to him, but you're going to be thinking about Jesus. It's all going to be about him, and he's going to consume everything, and we're going to praise him. And this psalm is about that perpetual praise. Speaking of Spurgeon, he said that praise is the rehearsal of our eternal song. So how would you do with your rehearsal tonight? I didn't feel like singing. Well, you're going to hate heaven if you're going. Right? People that don't like... Can I quote another hymn? Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. See, God's put a song in your heart, and the Holy Spirit wants to sing to the Lord. And if you say, well, I don't want to sing, either you're backslidden and quenching the Holy Spirit, or you don't have a song. So it ought to worry you. Because in heaven, we're going to have an eternal time of praise. And what goes on down here on earth is a rehearsal. But let me stop short of that and say, it's not just about singing in church, is it? It's about praising God in everyday life. Praising God at the house. Praising God while you're commuting. Praising God when you're fixing a leaky pipe. Praising God when you are at home relaxing. How are you doing in praise to the Lord. How many times do you think about God and His goodness? Because praise comes out of a thankful heart. So that's how it ties in to this season of the year. That's how it ties into the Christian life. Thankful people are praising people. Because when you get to heaven, the thing that is going to overwhelm you is how thankful you are to a God who made it by His grace made it available to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No one's going to be nonchalant when they see Jesus, not in heaven. No one is going to be unmoved by the nail prints in his hands and feet, not in heaven. No one's going to be bored by worship in heaven. You're, everything's going to be changed when you get there, especially after the rapture when we receive our glorified bodies. It's going to be a tremendous experience. And then to be able to see him as he mounts that white horse. And then we all, maybe we get a horse too, I don't know. But we all go with him as he comes back to earth. And as he claims the earth and rules and reigns for a thousand years. And the Bible says we're going to reign with him. And then after that, there'll come a judgment of those who are lost. Revelation 20. And then after that, he's going to make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. Not just remodeled, brand new. I don't know why he's going to do that, but 
if you'll allow me to say what I suspect is, this is just my thinking, I suspect it's because both heaven and earth have been touched by sin and Satan. See, Satan used to be an angel in heaven. Remember that? And he sinned against God and said, I will ascend to the throne of the Most High. Did you know there was a time when there was sin and rebellion in heaven itself? And Satan and the angels that followed him became demons, and they were cast out, right? Well, where'd they go? Well, we know that they're here on earth because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities and powers, Ephesians chapter 6. And so this world, as Martin Luther said in his famous hymn, and though this world with devils filled may threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Right? The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And I think that word is the name of Jesus. When you think about that, heaven and earth have been scarred and, and uh, they have been messed up by sin and by rebellion. And I think after the millennial reign and after that final Revelation 21 judgment where the lost are put into the lake of fire and the devil is put in the lake of fire, God says, I'm going to make you a new place, children. I'm going to make you a place that is far beyond anything you could ever imagine that has never been scarred by sin. You know, um, after my mom died in 2001, my dad living in Rogers, Arkansas, that's the place where mom grew up and her family lived there for generations. Every once in a while, dad would be driving around town and he would say, that's where your mother was living when we, I first met her. And every time he had to drive by that, it hurt him. Memories. You ever been through anything like that? Talk to people who have been through an awful divorce. They're all awful, awful, aren't they? And they said the worst thing about it is sometimes I can be at Walmart minding my own business and then my ex comes around and we meet on the aisle and it all comes back again. That's a pretty painful thing, isn't it? You can walk out to the cemetery Sometimes you look and you see a name on a tombstone and you go, oh, I remember them, I miss them. There are all kinds of things that happen on this earth. You know what God's going to do? He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth where you won't have any bad memories. You're not going to walk around and say that's the place where a crime took place. Wasn't that thing in Duncan at that Walmart, wasn't that horrible? And you know when you hear about those things, I told Sammy one time, we were talking about it, I said, if you'll notice... Almost all of the Amber Alerts, not all of them, but almost all, and all of these shootings and things like that, you know what it boils down to a lot of times? A domestic situation. And what was it usually? A broken home or something like that? Don't you long to be in a place where you don't have that kind of fear and you don't have that kind of pain and you don't have any of those kind of things anymore? See, God's going to make that for you in the new heaven and the new earth that he is going to prepare for us. Can you even begin to imagine how fantastic that is going to be? And I just think that when we get to heaven, 
Instead of our praise, kind of, you know how we do here on earth when we get something new. We're real excited, and then it kind of, you know, goes down. You know, you get that new car, and you think, oh, this will be the last car I'll ever buy. That's good for about three years. You know, it gets scratched up, gets messed up, has to go in the shop. doesn't smell as good as it smelled when it was new. And then you see somebody else, and you look at their car, and you go, good night, look at that. Their taillights are square and mine are round. I look like a dork. Isn't that kind of how we do? Look at those wheels on that car. Well, look at the way they change the hood on that. Man, next thing you know, you got to have another one. We are so dissatisfied here on earth. I think heaven's going to be the opposite, where we go, yay, and then everything kind of goes down and maybe levels off. I think in heaven, it's just going to keep going up. And I think every day, if there are days in heaven it's when time shall be no more but you know what i'm saying i think every day is going to bring more joy and we're going to be absolutely amazed every single day every single decade every century every millennium in heaven is going to be better than the one before remember the old good night i'm a quote machine tonight on old songs every day with jesus is sweeter than the day before no it's not Sometimes it stinks. Sometimes he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, and I don't like it there. Sometimes he leads you through war zones and battlefields. And sometimes you look back, and that's, that's why we tend to look in the rearview mirror and say, oh, it was so much better 20 years ago. Man, I wish I could be back there 40 years ago, 50 years ago maybe. You know, we look back. Because we sing songs like that, and that's our expectation. But tomorrow, folks, may be horrible, right? Should be sweeter, but it may be horrible. And my flesh may not respond well to where the Lord is leading me. And see, tonight, I can crow about the sovereignty of God and where He leads me. I may not be doing that tomorrow, and you might not either. And sometimes people have told me that I woke up and I lost a loved one and it was like falling off of a cliff it's not quite as sweet you're glad you have the lord and you love the lord and it is good that he is here but every day is not sweeter than the day before that's for heaven and i think when we get to heaven we're actually going to sing every day with jesus is sweeter than the day before and mean it because we'll be overwhelmed at the goodness of god you getting my drift and so we look at all of this and realize how different it's going to be. So how are we doing? This is the rehearsal of our eternal song. How are you doing? One person writing about this psalm said, The chief purpose of the believers, both now and throughout the ages, is the pursuit of the glory of God, praising and practicing the greatness of God should be the primary passion of God's day every day. Adoring the Lord should be the constant delight of their souls, the endless theme of their hearts. In every circumstance of life, believers should magnify His glorious name. How are you doing on that? I don't do so, I don't do so well. Not in every circumstance. That's hard. It's not normal. It's weird. Difficult. It's a battleground. See? But it's a rehearsal. 
And a rehearsal is a good place to make mistakes. Somebody say amen. A good rehearsal, a rehearsal is a good place to make mistakes. When I used to lead choirs, we would have a lot of rehearsals. And I said, if you're going to mess up, make a loud mess up so we can fix it. Don't be timid. Sing it out. This is the time to make the mistake so you don't make it in your performance. Okay? Well, think about what Spurgeon said. The time to make your mistakes in praising God, do it now. Do it now. God knows. This is the rehearsal. Now, think about this. Perpetual praise offered to God should be the grand pursuit of all that the saints do, their ultimate priority in this life, their chief business in the world to come. Well, that's a tall order. So we think about, why is God taking me through some of the things that he takes me through? Why does health suffer? Why do loved ones pass on? Why can't we all just go together? Well, we will in the rapture, but until then, sometimes things happen, don't they? Why do we have ups and downs economically? Why do we have boredom in life sometimes? Why do people suffer persecution? Why are there trials? Because it's a rehearsal teaching us how to trust God and not just trust Him, but praise Him because our hearts are filled with thankfulness in everything Everything, let that sink in. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So he's taking us through these things, teaching us down here how to praise the Lord, how to be thankful, so that when we go to heaven, we're ready for the eternal time of praising God and doing it forever. Boy, I'm glad he's going to change us because I couldn't handle that and I couldn't do it and neither could you. That's why he has to change us before we get there. Okay? Now, again, this is the last of David's 75 psalms. This is kind of his uh, swan song. And praise is his last recorded work. This is his finale. And it's as if David, before he dies, he says, I am the sweet psalmist of Israel. I'm the one that as the shepherd boy, I learned how to play my harp, and I learned how to write poetry, and I learned how to put it to music. David was very talented in all of this. And he said, that was the beginning of my life, and I want it to be the ending of my life. With my final breath, I want to give praise to the Lord. And so here's what he writes. Now, I'm going to do the points as we go through this, okay? Because this is a little longer than some of the others. It's not terribly long, 20-some 20, 20 verses. But um, I don't want to lose our, lose our thought or anything like that. Notice here that this is the topic sentence of the song, of this paragraph, of this poem. I will extol you, O God, my King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. So what's the theme? Praise. And how long is he going to praise? Well, sometimes he says, I will praise you as long as I live. But in this one, he's got his eye on eternity. Twice he tells us, I'm going to do it forever 
And then he says, well, that's not good enough. I'm going to do it forever and ever. Long time, long time, eternity. So for some people who say, well, the Old Testament believers didn't have a good view of eternal life, well, that may not be exactly right. They may not know everything that we know, but um, this is something that uh, these verses right now tell us that there is a foreverness even that David expected, and it had to do with praising and blessing the Lord. So we'll give you uh, five things to consider tonight. Number one, praise is the only proper reaction of a believer. You know, now we complain and we do all that kind of stuff and we gripe and all of that, but that's not really a good thing if you think about it. Because in verse 3 it says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. We're going to have an infinity of time to get to know the infinity of greatness of our God. To experience it, to see it, to maybe even understand it more than we're even capable of doing it down here. You're never going to get bored. You're never going to get enough. You're never going to be satisfied with your knowledge of God. It's going to be going on and on and on because His greatness is unsearchable. Well, that's not only going to be true when you get to heaven. That's true right now. That's true as you think about a God who is ruling over the planets and the galaxies that we don't even know about. And some of them that we do see. And it's God who created all of them. And it's God who keeps them all together. It's God who keeps our earth spinning at the right speed. It's God who keeps our earth at the right distance from the sun so that we don't burn up or we don't freeze to death. It's God who has made the ecosystem so that there's a purpose for everything. There is a, there's food for everything. There's something that will eat just about everything on earth, even dead rotten stuff. I mean, it's amazing how all of this works and how it fits together and how we're able to have food and plant crops and raise animals and all of the things we do. It's incredible. And this all shows the greatness of God. And so praise is the only, the only response that we can have to a God like that. But secondly, as we begin reading at verse 4, think about this. Praise is a responsibility. It's not just icing on the cake. It is something that we are commanded to do and we have a responsibility to do. Why? Verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Maybe we're losing the younger generation because we bought them everything they wanted but we didn't teach them to give thanks and praise God for it. Maybe because we... Let them see our greatness and our ability to provide. I'm going to make sure my children have everything I never had. You know, that's not a worthy goal. Because some of the depth of your character is because of the hard times you went through. And if we shelter our children so that they never have any hard times, maybe they never develop the same toughness and character that maybe you have. And maybe they don't really know the God that we know. Well, there was a time when um, a family was at home and they had a little five-year-old boy and somebody said something about the pastor and the little boy goes, who's that? 
They said, oh, you know, you've, you've met him, you've talked to him. And he says, I don't think so. And he said, you know, the, the, the guy that stands in front of us and talks for a long time? Well, in the baptistry, they had a picture of Jesus. And the little boy said, oh, you mean the guy that covers up Jesus? You know, some people don't have a Lord because they have a pastor. And they make an idol out of the pastor. Some people don't really see Jesus because their parents met all of their needs. And they never really prayed about anything. They never had to want for anything. They never saw the miracle working power of God. Remember me telling you about Max Williams and Tuttle? When my kids were little and I asked him, I said, Max, your, your kids are as old as I am. What's the secret of raising good kids? And he said, you really want to know? He's kind of a gruff guy. And I said, yeah. And he goes, number one, show them a real God. Not a God at church. Not a God who can't do anything. But a God who answers prayer. A God who pays bills. A God who takes care of needs. Show them a real God. And then second, love them whatever stage they are. If I ever hear you talk about the terrible twos, I'm going to come and talk to you because it's beautiful when they're two. And it's beautiful when they're 35. He said, you enjoy them whatever age they were. Let me tell you, there's not much I can find wrong with that, is there? And that thing about showing them a real God, that's what David is talking about. That's a responsibility. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts or deeds I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty in other words you got to have something to share with your kids you better be full or you won't have anything to give them and on your wondrous works men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and I will declare your greatness they shall utter memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Does that sound like your dinner table? Does that sound like your family gatherings? Does that sound like what comes out of your mouth whenever you have a need, whenever you have a problem? Oh, I wish I had done better when my kids were little at opening up an electric bill that was twice as high as I expected and made it a time of praise. I wish I'd done better when there was an unexpected car repair instead of getting upset or frustrated. I wish I'd done better at giving God praise. You know, I think about some of the times when we were raising our children, when we wondered, what are we going to do? How are we going to make it? How are we going to get through? And now we're at the point where our kids have been out of the house for a long time now. And we're here. Somehow we made it. Somehow we did it. And you know what the Holy Spirit whispers in our hearts? Was there ever any doubt? Was there ever any doubt? And the answer is no. I think we did show them this sometimes. I wish we'd done better. You know what I'm talking about? I wish we'd done better. I wish that whenever we talked about what are you thankful to God for, I wish it turned into a thing where we almost had to shut everybody up because we're so overflowing with this because we meditated on it and we thought about it and we were just looking for an opportunity to brag on Jesus. See, And I think the reason we're not impacting our children is because we don't brag on Jesus enough.
And maybe that's also the reason why our neighborhoods and our communities and our workplaces aren't being affected as much as they ought to be because we just don't brag on Jesus. In fact, there are some people, believe it or not, maybe I'm talking to you, you kind of think you got a raw deal. Why is God picking on me? Why is God not giving me everything that I want? Why is it not happening for me? Well, maybe if you started being grateful for what he already has done, maybe you would see him do a little bit more. Well, we quit preaching and got to meddling, didn't we? Number three. Number three. With me? Praise is reasonable. Okay? It's not for the weirdos. Sometimes you may hear somebody shout out or get going. It's like the lady that was in church from the country. She was in a big city church setting up in the balcony and the preacher said something and she goes, Hallelujah! You know how they said it like that. And the ushers came and they were looking at her and they were keeping an eye on that crazy lady. Said something else. She goes, Praise the Lord! Glory! Somebody came over to her and said, Ma'am, you're going to have to be quiet here. She goes, I can't help but I got religion. And the usher said, Well, you didn't get it here. Right? I mean, an old story. But isn't that kind of the way it is? And so we look at all of this and we realize praise is not for the weirdos. Praise is the reasonable, reasonable expression of your life when you think about who God is and what he has done for you. Look at verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Now how can you not shout an amen for that? And slow to anger and great in mercy. You know, there are some of his kids that need to think about that slow to anger. You need to praise God for that. God has some stupid kids too, doesn't he? Yeah. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. Right? And his tender mercies are over all his works. And you're a part of his work. Verse 10, all your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. Boy, there's a day coming. There's a day coming, folks. Verse 11, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, unlike David's, right? And your dominion endures throughout all generations. Boy, that's a great thought. I don't know what the next presidential election is going to do, but I know Jesus will still be king, right? I don't know how long I'm going to live. I may live to be 100. It's happened in my family. May not. That's happened in my family too. My grandpa died at 59. I think I'm getting ready to pass him. My mom died at 63, but my dad died at 85. My grandmother died at 98. My great-grandmother died at 102. I don't know who, whose genes I've got, right? Don't know. But I do know this. One of these days, I'm going to die, and you're going to die, and Jesus will still be king. One of these days, we'll be gone maybe for two or three generations, and Jesus will still be king. And no matter what happens, his kingdom, it's an everlasting, everlasting kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar found that out the hard way, didn't he? In Daniel, what, the fourth, fourth chapter? Found out the hard way. He thought he was the big king. And God humbled him, and for seven years he was like an animal, wasn't he? 
Then his reasoning returned to him and he praised the God of heaven whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Look at number four. Praise also remembers. If nothing is happening in your life right now that you find praiseworthy, all you have to do is go back to yesterday, the day before. You ate yesterday, didn't you? You slept yesterday. You were sheltered yesterday. There was something good that happened yesterday. There was something good that happened 10 years ago. There was something good that happened on your salvation. There's something that you can look back. Look at verse 14. The Lord upholds all who fall. How many of you have ever fallen? Say amen. Why didn't you just fall off the map? Because God upheld you. It could have been a whole lot worse. As bad as it was, it could have been worse. And raises up all who are bowed down. You ever been bowed down under the weight of sin and struggle and sorrow, grieving, pain, that kind of stuff? Verse 15. The eyes of all look expectantly to you. Have you lost your dream? Have you lost your hope in the Lord? And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand to satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and gracious in all his works. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. There I go again. Number five, and we'll wrap it up here. Praise recognizes God's goodness. You see, we forget sometimes how good the Lord is. And we overlook those things, almost like we're spoiled brats who feel like we're entitled to it. Some of us, notice I said us, are like the three-year-old in the cereal aisle. You seen that kid? It's that kid that you go, better thank God every day you're not my son. Right? Well, guess what? We're that kid. We're that kid. And it's like the Lord puts the Cheerios in the cart and we wanted Captain Crunch. Right? Saw a thing one time that says, and we've experienced this with our grandkids. Hell hath no fury like a toddler that wanted the orange cup instead of the green one. It's amazing how quickly they can lose their minds over something like that. Be just as happy as they can be and all of a sudden they lose their mind. You and I are like that sometimes. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? And we forget how good God is. Now you see, that's the thing. A toddler doesn't realize when mama's buying the groceries, oh, mother, you are so good to make sure that I have the food that I need and I will not go to bed hungry tonight. They don't do that. You got to get a little older before you really get that way. You got to get a lot older before you get that way. Some of you didn't get that way until you were paying the grocery bill on your own, right? Then all of a sudden you go, I understand what mama went through. Understand what it was like then, right? And we got to grow up. And those times when we complain and we don't see the goodness of God is just the Holy Spirit telling us, you're not there yet, son. I'm so glad God is patient. You know, there are those times that I think I did something big for God and I'm sure he just says, that was cute. That was cute. But you'll get there. You'll get there. And he's patient and he's good in all of that. Because praise recognizes God's goodness. Verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. 
to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. I don't think that in my life I'm near as grateful for my salvation as I ought to be. But I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And about the time I really get it is probably about the time I go to heaven. And then I'll really get it. I'm glad that I don't have to worry about hell. Why is that? Because I'm such a good person? No. No, I'm top candidate in terms of being sent to hell. I'm grateful that my Savior paid for all of my sins on the cross. And he took the wrath of God in my place and gave me his life instead. That's a wonderful thing. And I think about everything that the Lord has done for me. And i got to look back. And I've got to think about the goodness of God in the little things and in the big things and be focused on that. And here's the conclusion. David said in verse 21 as he wraps it up. It's almost like he goes back to verse 1. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. When you get to heaven, you will not run out of good things to say about God. And you've got an eternity to say them and an eternity to express them. And you've got such a limitless God, you'll never run out of material. And you're going to be excited to hear what other people have to say. And they're going to be excited to hear what you have to say. And the Lord Jesus will receive all of that as a sweet-smelling aroma. And forever and ever and ever, Paul put it this way, And thus shall we ever be where? With the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. So we need to close in prayer because we ain't there yet. That means we've got to pray for ourselves. And that means we've got to pray for other people. In your newsletter, there's a list of people to pray for. It's so good that it's shorter than it has been. And some of the things that you see on there are more positive than they were a few weeks ago. Thank the Lord for that. But some of you may remember uh, Michael and Becca Derham. And Becca called and... Uh, I ran into Becca a couple of times now at Sam's and uh, met all of her kids. And uh, there was one named Sophia that uh, she was telling me about. And boy, Sophia's got just a ton of things wrong with her. Well, this came in today. She called us and said, Please pray for Sophia Durham, uh, Becca and Michael's nine-year-old daughter. She's got severe breathing problems, heart and immune issues. She was just released from Children's Hospital and the doctors here are expecting something rare and they want to send her to Houston and, uh, for further tests and they need their insurance to approve this and to approve it very soon. Will you take that to the Lord tonight along with the other things and pray about that? Because God does answer prayer. And all of these things, Andre Crouch said in one of a, a song that he wrote, for if I'd never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Right? That's why it happens. 
And we need to know this, and they need to know this, and we need to ask God, and then we need to remember to praise God and thank Him for it. So I'm going to ask you just to gather up with at least one other person. You can gather in groups of two or three or four, but at least with someone else. And give a, a prayer, offer a prayer of thanks. And also intercession for the people that are on the prayer list tonight and for Sophia. And ask God to do a great, mighty work and to truly make us to be people of praise and people that are thankful unto the Lord. Can we do that? Let's gather up, get a prayer partner, or gather in a small group if you want to, however you want to do it.